0: Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault of minors that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: It's a cold morning in December. There's snow in the forecast. Instead of reporting to work, an ordinary citizen arrives at a courthouse in Taos, New Mexico. They are here to serve their civic duty, along with 11 other
0: strangers. When the juror enters the courtroom, he sees the defendant smiling warmly. He looks almost grandfatherly with bouffant gray hair, a knit sweater, and professorial glasses. It's hard for the juror to imagine what kind of crimes a sweet elderly man like this could be charged with. Then
1: he hears the charges levied against the smiling man three counts of sexual contact with minors and contributing to the delinquency of minors.
0: The juror looks around the packed courthouse. There are young teenage girls in the gallery, perhaps the victims.
1: There's a crowd of people dressed modestly, the women in long old-fashioned dresses. They look at the old man with adoration.
0: The juror no longer knows what to think. He's completely unaware that in his hands lies the fate of God himself.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. Today, we're continuing our examination of Wayne Bent and his controversial Christian cult, our Lord Righteousness Church.
0: At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
1: And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcastcom merch for more information.
0: You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of Parkast's other shows, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
1: In 1987... Forty-six-year-old Seventh-day Adventist minister, Wayne Bent, broke away from his church after significant disagreements over Scripture. Seventh-day leaders accused Wayne of encouraging congregants to adhere to his own version of the Bible instead of the church's doctrine.
0: In response, Wayne formed the Lord Our Righteousness Church. Several hundred congregants followed him in this new religion. Over time, as Wayne's behavior became more extreme, the number dwindled to 70. Wayne led those remaining loyalists to a compound in New Mexico and renamed their church Strong City.
1: In June of 2000, 59-year-old Bent heard the voice of Michael the Archangel. The voice told him, you are
0: Messiah. With this new divine position, Wayne renamed himself Michael Trevesser. He also claimed two followers as his wives, or witnesses. He collected several more witnesses in the following years, some of them underage.
1: All of his actions, he claimed, were commands from the Lord. It was his constant refrain, quote, I don't make anyone do anything. It's all the Lord's bidding.
0: But when a documentary film crew covered the goings-on of life on the Strong City compound, Michael Travesser's divine excuses didn't mean much to law enforcement. All they saw was an adult man grooming underage girls.
1: This week, we'll follow the police investigation into Strong City and what eventually led to Michael's arrest.
0: We'll also cover his criminal trial and the fate of Strong City today.
1: In the fall of 2007, documentary filmmakers came to Strong City to investigate a prophecy. 66-year-old Michael Travesser claimed the world would end on Halloween that year, Judgment Day.
0: However, what the film crew captured at midnight on October 31st was much less than the promised apocalypse. Instead, in the black desert night, a truly bizarre display broke out.
1: Shining flashlights into the sky, Michael led his strong city followers on a procession, where they joyfully cried out, Liberty! Liberty! We're free!
0: All the while, they shone flashlights into the sky, wearing grins of exultation toward God. What they were free from wasn't clear. What liberty they had achieved was even more vague. One thing was obvious.
1: This was no reincarnation, and this was not the end of the world. It was just a small group of people making a lot of noise in the desert.
0: They cheered joyfully, but the display was meaningless, likely a last-minute idea to put on a show for the camera crew. Michael promised something on that date, so he gave them something. A show of unity.
1: But the cries of liberty were indeed premature. Unbeknownst to Michael Travesser, law enforcement was taking a strong look at Strong City and building a case against him. Several former members reported to authorities that Michael held underage girls in naked embraces. Similar stories were also published on anti-Strong City websites by escaped followers.
0: Michael alleged that he never forced the girls to be naked, but he undoubtedly encouraged it. He posted on his blog that being naked before him would bring his young followers closer to God. The first girl to do this, 16-year-old Esther, did so voluntarily and felt that it was a holy experience, but it's likely that Esther was responding to a form of coercive persuasion.
1: Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research
0: for this show. Thanks, Greg. Cult expert Dr. Richard J. Oshi said that coercive persuasion is a key technique of cult leaders. When a leader changes the social environment to such an extreme degree, questionable behavior, like a man in his 60s lying naked with a teenage girl, is never challenged by the cult members. Instead, after hearing about Esther's experience, the other virgin girls in the cult felt they had to also hold Wayne in a naked embrace to be closer to God. In April of
1: 2008, after hearing these accounts, New Mexico's Children, Youth, and Family Department removed three minors from the compound. Among them was 16-year-old Lakeisha Sayer.
0: When the documentary film crew had interviewed her the previous fall, she told them about her naked embraces with Michael and how much she enjoyed them. She also said that she wanted to have sex with Michael, but he said no.
1: Or rather, according to Michael, the Lord did not command me to have sex with Lakeisha, so therefore, consummation did not happen.
0: The will of God was Michael's constant defense. In this instance, it's a very strange one. Michael did not say the idea of having sex with an underage girl repulsed him. He didn't deny an attraction to Lakeisha. Instead, he said he didn't act because the Lord didn't command it. Hardly an ironclad defense against accusations of sexual misconduct.
1: And while Lakeisha and Esther spoke fondly of their naked embraces with Michael, not all the girls felt that way. Ashley Sayer, Lakeisha's sister, was disturbed by her own experiences. She claimed that, in addition to lying together naked, Michael kissed her on the lips and touched and kissed her breasts.
0: When Ashley told her parents, John and Elsa, they were shocked. It was such shocking behavior, it severed the hold Michael had over them. They immediately made plans to leave Strong City.
1: But Lakeisha refused to go still deeply bound to michael in the end john elsa and ashley left her behind when the new mexico children youth and family department raided the compound in april of 2008 lakeisha had to be handcuffed and carried away by police
0: when they wouldn't let her hug michael before leaving she broke down and cried her indoctrination was total
1: she was reunited with her parents and sister but still refused to accept that she couldn't return to Strong City. She went on a hunger strike, demanding to be reunited with her messiah, Michael.
0: Lakeisha spent her formative years inside Strong City. It was all she knew, and it made her fiercely loyal to Michael. Cult survivor Ashley Allen wrote that the isolation of a cult can twist the moral outlook of a child. She said... Children are taught that the world inside the cult is good while the world outside is evil and to be feared.
1: After 10 days of fasting, her parents brought her to the hospital for IV nutrition. Doctors eventually convinced Lakeisha to resume eating. But when she was released from the hospital, she wanted nothing to do with her parents.
0: Instead, she moved on to a ranch owned by a former Strong City family counting the days until she turned 18 and could return to the compound.
1: In the meantime, 66-year-old Michael Travesser was charged with three counts of criminal sexual contact with minors and three counts of contributing to the delinquency of minors based upon the stories told in the documentary and testimony from the Sayer family.
0: He waited for his trial in jail, unable to post a $500,000 bail. Just as Lakeisha had done, Michael went on a hunger strike in protest of his arrest, refusing to eat or drink. Given the similarity, it's likely that Michael had instructed Lakeisha to fast if she was taken away.
1: Michael's son, Jeff Bent, served as the mouthpiece of the cult in his father's absence. He explained in interviews that Michael's fast was an act of resistance as a way to protest his persecution. He drew parallels between Michael and Martin Luther King and Gandhi. Both nonviolent
0: activists. Jeff also posted a video message on the Strong City website denouncing the charges against his father as lies. He accused law enforcement of being deceptive in their practices.
1: He didn't deny his father's naked embraces, but instead defended them as a form of spiritual healing. He blamed the outside world for being too close minded to accept that this was a
0: way to express a closeness with God. Unfortunately, this rationalization is one commonly employed by pedophiles. The Encyclopedia of Mental Disorders, as well as studies conducted by the FBI, showed that pedophiles don't believe they're abusing children. Instead, they're teaching children about love. In this case, God's love.
1: After a few days of his hunger strike, Michael's public defender was able to lobby the judge to lower his bail to $55,000. After a few days, Jeff was able to collect the money.
0: Michael returned to his followers, who eagerly surrounded him with love and concern. For years, Michael had warned them that people in the outside world were afraid that he knew the truth and would try to stop him one day.
1: His arrest only solidified his martyrdom. It only reinforced his prophecies and his divinity. It only made them more devoted to their Messiah.
0: Coming up, Strong City's Messiah faces a jury. Now, back to the story.
1: In April of 2008, 66-year-old cult leader, Michael Travesser was arrested on charges of sexual misconduct with minors. His followers in Strong City were able to raise his bail money. Their Messiah returned to the compound to await his trial.
0: But in the months that followed, the number of occupants on the compound dwindled. Michael's arrest sowed doubts in a lot of people's minds.
1: By October of 2008, there were only 45 adults left in the compound and a few scattered children. Michael's arrest for his deviant behavior may have finally broken the spell for those departing members.
0: Dr. Michael D. Langoni cited the revelation of a cult leader's hypocrisy, or corruption, as a primary reason for a cult member to leave. The discovery of Michael's naked embraces was in direct conflict with the moral values they believed their church represented.
1: In addition, Michael had already been shown to be fallible in October of 2007, when his doomsday prediction was unfulfilled. The entire cult prepared for an end that did not come. When he was arrested on top of this, it gave many the push they needed to resist Michael's influence.
0: Strangely, in the fall of 2008, Michael repeated his prediction. The world would end on Halloween. Jeff told the Albuquerque Journal, we don't anticipate any future beyond October 31st.
1: Yet unsurprisingly, Michael soon walked back his claims. Instead of apocalyptic change, October 31st, 2008 would bring spiritual change. As a result, he told KOB News that he would not eat or drink after that day, until he was in heaven.
0: With this proclamation, Michael did two things. He moved the goalpost for fulfilling his prophecy as well as reinforced his martyr status. While journalists didn't take his claims seriously, his few remaining followers began preparing for the next judgment day.
1: Just as the year before, Halloween night came and went, and the world continued on, unchanged.
0: A little over a month later, on December 8, 2008, Michael Trevesser finally had his day in court. All remaining 45 members of Strong City arrived with Michael to show support for their Messiah.
1: On the other side of the aisle, a congregation of former followers took their seats, eager to see the false prophet brought to justice. Among them was 23-year-old Seth Keel, whose mother was one of Michael's first witnesses.
0: At the time seth was only a teenager but he was disgusted that his mother slept with michael while still married to his father he left strong city soon after
1: tim bowman moved out of strong city after michael declared himself messiah his wife refused to leave with him and eventually also became one of michael's witnesses
0: prudence welch spent 15 years in strong city with her parents While there, she got married and started a family. Prudence and her husband eventually left over concerns about Michael's behavior. They didn't approve of his sexual activity with married women on the compound.
1: Prudence's mother and father stayed behind and cut off all contact with their daughter and grandchildren. Then, in early 2008, Prudence's mother was diagnosed with breast cancer.
0: Michael stopped her from seeking treatment, encouraging her to trust God instead. Prudence attended the trial in December of 2008, primarily to see her dying mother. They
1: exchanged a tearful reunion in the gallery. Prudence told her mother again and again how much she loved her. She remembered thinking this would be the last time she would see her alive.
0: Michael Travesser stood with his followers just a few feet away from this outpouring of emotion between mother and daughter. He completely ignored them. His opinion was clear. They didn't matter.
1: When trial proceedings commenced, the prosecution laid out a clear case. Michael abused his position of spiritual leadership to molest underage girls. The jury would hear testimony from several of his victims verifying this fact. Michael had an undeniable hold over these girls and abdicated his responsibilities as an adult.
0: Michael's defense attorney, Sarah Montoya, did not deny that Michael engaged in this behavior, but she argued there was nothing sexual in nature about the encounters. This was about spirituality and religious freedoms.
1: To combat those claims, the prosecution called Lakeisha and Ashley Sayers' mother, Elsa, to the stand. She testified about Michael's blog post, encouraging his followers to be naked before God.
0: In Strong City, Michael was God. Lakeisha was a young teenage girl in the throes of puberty. Having spent her whole life in Strong City, she had no healthy frame of reference for sexual urges. All of her affection was directed toward Michael, the central source of love. And he wrote that she needed to be naked before him. Elsa felt that he purposefully coerced her daughters into a sexual situation.
1: Elsa became emotional on the stand. Ashley had developed serious anger issues because of her encounter with Michael. Elsa felt she'd lost Lakeisha entirely to Michael's influence.
0: Seventeen-year-old Lakeisha confirmed that sentiment when she took the stand herself the next day. When asked about the night she laid with Michael, Lakeisha stated that she felt a great need, then she added, for God.
1: That night, she felt with all her heart she needed to be naked with Michael. She needed to lay with him, skin to skin. So she went to him, and he agreed.
0: Lakeisha testified that she did have a moment of hesitation and asked Michael if she should talk to her parents first. But he reassured her that they trusted him.
1: She said they took off their clothes and got into bed. Then she described how Michael held her.
0: The prosecutor asked Lakeisha how she felt in the moment of the naked embrace. She started to cry. She felt like she'd been held by God, and she loved Michael so much for giving that experience to her.
1: She continued to weep as she lamented being away from Strong City, her real home. It was a disturbing, yet somehow moving, testimony.
0: The mood changed entirely when her sister, Ashley, took the stand. She did not look fondly on her night with Michael. She testified that she was terrified when she laid with him.
1: Again, Ashley accused Michael of kissing her lips and breasts. The encounter she described was much more sexual than Lakeisha's ethereal healing experience.
0: But on cross-examination, defense attorney Sarah Montoya asked Ashley to more specifically describe the alleged abuse. She presented a Barbie doll wearing a bikini. She asked Ashley, did Michael kiss any of the areas covered by a bikini?
1: Ashley wasn't sure how to answer. When Montoya gave her the doll to demonstrate, Ashley put her finger on the doll's sternum between her breasts. It was still an inappropriate place for Michael to kiss Ashley but Montoya seized upon the discrepancy as proof that the act was not sexual.
0: Tim Bowman and several other former followers were disgusted by this tactic. He was convinced the abuse had taken place. He thought, based on Ashley's testimony, she was clearly traumatized.
1: Next, the prosecution presented clinical psychologist Dr. Elizabeth Dinsmore... She testified that the Sayer girl's testimony presented the hallmarks of grooming by a sexual predator. Michael laid the groundwork for these naked embraces for a long time, even before the blog post.
0: Dr. Wendy L. Patrick, an expert in criminal law, wrote extensively about sexual predator grooming, the process by which a predator gains access to victims through trust and friendship. Boundaries are slowly erased, and soon, abhorrent behavior becomes normalized.
1: Michael started eliminating boundaries in the early days of the Lord Our Righteousness Church, encouraging nude worship. Over time, this escalated, until he declared himself Messiah. By then, any action he took was protected by his spiritual authority.
0: Michael's defense presented their own expert, psychologist Dr. Ned Siegel. He testified that, outside of the behavior described in the trial, Michael showed no other grooming or predatory tendencies.
1: Of course, Dr. Siegel was likely unaware of his collection of seven wives, his witnesses, most of them already married. His charges were only in connection with the Sayer girls, so the rest of his sexual manipulation was not discussed in the trial.
0: Despite Sarah Montoya's objections, Michael took the stand on the third day of proceedings. He refused to let someone else argue his innocence. As Montoya led him through questions, he emphatically denied touching Ashley and Lakeisha Sayer in any kind of sexual way.
1: The prosecutor challenged this claim on cross-examination. If there was nothing sexual about this experience, why did Michael allow the girls to take off their clothes in front of him at all?
0: But Michael denied any culpability, as usual. When the girls came to him, he merely listened to God and followed his commands.
1: If he stopped the girls from undressing, they would be disobeying God. As a spiritual leader, it was impossible for Michael to do that.
0: In addition, Michael attested that he knew all these girls since childhood. He didn't see them in a sexual way at all. In fact, he was especially careful when he touched their chests not to do so in an intimate way.
1: When asked about Ashley's testimony specifically, he denied kissing her on the lips and breasts. But he did admit to lying naked with her in a strange half-admission of guilt.
0: After Michael's testimony, the defense rested their case. The jury heard closing arguments and then was sent to deliberate on Friday, December 12, 2008.
1: The former cult members, hoping for justice, were not comforted. They didn't feel like the testimony from Lakeisha, Ashley, and Elsa truly exposed Michael for the sexual predator he was instead he came off as an innocent old man unaware of the damage he was causing
0: he didn't deny the charges he simply argued that the naked embraces had been misinterpreted the former followers worried the jury would be duped by michael's charm as they all had been once before
1: they watched in disgust as michael gave an impromptu press conference on the courthouse steps lakeisha ran forward and hugged michael in front of the cameras He solemnly told the gathered journalists, quote, they killed Jesus for a lie.
0: He swore to the reporters that should he be found guilty, he would no longer eat. He would not live in prison and would pray for the Lord to take his life.
1: Reporters asked his assembled followers if they also would fast if Michael was convicted. All 45 members agreed they would go on a hunger strike.
0: Michael was quick to jump in and clarify that it was their choice. He never ordered them to do anything. Of course, that's difficult to believe. Michael was the puppet master pulling the strings of his followers.
1: And perhaps the only thing capable of breaking that control was the verdict decided by a jury of 12. Michael's followers and former followers waited for their decision, each side praying for the opposite outcome.
0: Up next, the jury issues a verdict for the Messiah of Strong City. Now, back to the story.
1: After four days of evidence and testimony, the jury was sent to deliberate the fate of 66-year-old Michael Travesser on Friday, December 12, 2008. He was charged with three counts of criminal sexual contact with minors and three counts of contributing to the delinquency of minors. In the midst of heavy snowfall, Michael's 45 followers returned to the Taos Courthouse on Monday, December fifteenth, to hear the verdict.
0: To the residents of Strong City, they were about to find out if God had decided to save their Messiah or crucify him. On the charge
1: relating to criminal sexual contact with 16-year-old Lakeisha Sayer, Michael Travesser was found not guilty. Relief washed over the members of Strong City, It appeared their Messiah was saved.
0: But then the other verdicts were read. Michael was found guilty of criminal sexual contact with Ashley Sayer and contributing to the delinquency of minors.
1: The members of Strong City wept, their faces twisted in anguish. But Michael kept smiling. He tapped his heart as he mouthed, I love you, to all of his followers. He showed no stress or fear about heading to prison.
0: The former followers in the courtroom celebrated the verdict. It's not often that victims and survivors have the chance to see the person who damaged their lives be brought to justice before them.
1: Before going their separate ways, there was a jubilant feeling of fellowship. They had stuck together and saw a day they never thought they'd see, the downfall of a man who called himself Messiah.
0: Outside the courtroom, Lakeisha expressed relief that Michael was found not guilty of the charge relating to her. At least she hadn't betrayed her messiah.
1: The rest of Strong City lashed out at the corrupt system that punished Michael. In the weeks leading up to the trial, they heard a repeated narrative of a world out to persecute their values. It rallied them against a common enemy and poisoned the validity of the guilty verdict. Michael wasn't wrong. He was a misunderstood martyr.
0: Michael was allowed to spend two weeks at Strong City before reporting for his sentence. Away from the reporters and the judge, he took to his website to comment on the trial.
1: He wrote that the guilty verdict told him the world hated Strong City. If the jury had acquitted him, the world would be spared the Lord's wrath. But now that Christ on earth was convicted, the world had exposed itself to God as evil.
0: This behavior mirrored classic narcissistic rage. Professor Preston Knee wrote that when a narcissist feels inferior, they will lash out in a disproportionate and irrational way. Michael was finally being held accountable for his actions, so therefore the world was now worthy of destruction at God's hands.
1: Michael Travesser did not try to flee or attempt any violent retribution. Strong City did not have the means weapons or will for that instead he and his followers peacefully returned to the courthouse on December 30th 2008 for his arraignment
0: before he was sentenced michael read a long statement it was a continuation of the aggressive narrative he spun on his website accusing americans of hate and prejudice He said the state investigators lied to him and he felt humiliated by the way law enforcement treated him. He also compared his situation to that of Jesus' crucifixion, saying the world often tries to destroy new beliefs.
1: He declared he was a victim of religious persecution and cited other examples in Scripture of adults touching children, such as the Jewish rite of circumcision. Yet Michael was the one going to prison.
0: While Michael admitted to the naked embraces, he would not admit to any kind of wrongdoing. Whether it was God giving him an order or an unjust government persecuting him, Michael did not have the tools to admit he did anything wrong.
1: 67-year-old Michael was sentenced to 18 years, but the judge reduced it to 10 years because Michael was a first-time offender and because of his age.
0: Once in jail, he began a hunger strike. Several strong city members also stopped eating, including Esther, the first girl held in a naked embrace. She might have felt particular guilt for the way her interview in the documentary was used against Michael.
1: Esther's mother, Hanifa Travesser, was also one of Michael's seven wives. She wrote a letter to the governor of New Mexico, appealing for clemency as a 10-year incarceration for a man Michael's age was essentially a death sentence. But clemency was not granted.
0: In addition, Jeff set up several strong city websites to appeal the verdict and free Michael. They hoped to drum up enough attention and sympathy to compel the governor to grant a release for Michael.
1: In late January 2009, a local news channel covered Esther's continued hunger strike, protesting the verdict. Michael had abandoned his own hunger strike a few weeks prior, but she told the news, I'm willing to die on what I stand on, which is purely God's instructions to me. I wouldn't be doing this if God hadn't told me to.
0: Esther signed a statement refusing resuscitation unless Michael was released from prison. Permanent organ damage is a risk after 30 days of starvation. At the time of the interview, Esther was on Day 33.
1: No one at Strong City was trying to stop her. Jeff Bent said to reporters that he didn't like seeing Esther fast so much, but he added that her actions represented
0: how the entire group felt. However, just 10 hours after talking to the news, Union County deputies showed up with a court order demanding Esther be taken to a hospital for treatment.
1: Esther's sister, who no longer lived in Strong City, had seen the interview and called the police she didn't want to watch Esther
0: die. Esther's mother was furious. She claimed the efforts which saved her daughter's life were essentially the same thing as kidnapping.
1: For the better half of 2009, Michael Travesser and his followers continued to appeal his sentence. But by August, it was clear that the Messiah of Strong City would remain in jail for quite some time.
0: On his blog, Michael wrote that his incarceration was a form of sexual abuse by the state. He claimed the government's unfair treatment of him was the real molestation. He even compared it to an incident in his youth when he claimed to be sexually abused by an older man.
1: He also started another hunger strike in prison. He said that anyone outside of Strong City is the beast, a biblical term for the devil and he refused to eat food from the hand of the beast.
0: His fast only lasted a few months, however, once he realized that clemency was not forthcoming. He wrote in his blog that he stopped the hunger strikes because God said he didn't want Michael to starve anymore.
1: And while Michael languished in prison, his followers slowly dwindled away. In early 2010, Jeff Bent said in an interview that there were 35 adults living on the compound in Michael's absence. One of those 35 members was Lakeisha Sayre. She had returned to the compound the moment she turned 18, just like she said she would. Still, without Michael Travesser to run things, the Strong City compound was an abandoned shell of the solvent community it once was
0: but he continued to speak to his followers through his blog. In 2011, he wrote, But we warned the state early on. Over and over, proud men were given an opportunity to stand down, but their self-righteous boasting can now be seen by souls covered with the righteousness of God as only farts in the wind.
1: By 2014, he faced a much more serious threat than the men he perceived as pawns of the beast. Doctors discovered a cancerous tumor growing just behind his ear.
0: In October of 2015, the tumor was successfully removed through surgery, but that led to infections in his ear. If he didn't receive a second surgery, he'd likely lose hearing in that ear. However, the New Mexico Department of Corrections did not approve a second surgery.
1: If they kept Michael incarcerated without proper treatment, It could have been considered cruel and unusual punishment. Therefore, on December 15, 2015, after seven years in jail, Judge Abigail Aragon ordered the release of 74-year-old Michael Travesser, based on health reasons.
0: But the release came with serious conditions. If Michael was to live as a free man, he had to accept the label of a sexual predator that society had placed on him— The conditions of his release included no contact with children, enrolling in a sex offender treatment program, and registration as a sex offender.
1: Michael gladly accepted and left prison. When he returned to the compound, he closed the doors of Strong City to the media and all outsiders. He still blamed the documentary film for his incarceration.
0: He also took down the Strong City website and his blog. He didn't want his words used against him again. He did keep waynebent.com, his own unaffiliated website. He continued to add regular updates, most of them drawing comparisons between himself and Jesus.
1: It was most recently updated on May 26, 2019. The website makes no mention of any follower by name, not even Jeff. Instead, his posts condemn the rest of society and continue his hostile diatribe toward a world that sinks slowly into the abyss.
0: One of the last known photographs of Michael featured himself, his son Jeff, and Jeff's wife, Christiana, who Michael had begun sleeping with. The photo was taken in 2014 before he was released from prison. It shows all three of them smiling, looking to all the world like a happy family with no hint of the sordid past they shared at Strong City.
1: No one knows for sure what's happening inside Strong City in 2019. It's reasonable to assume that Michael is still lording over the final few dozen of his most
0: devoted followers on the compound. However, it doesn't appear that they're currently trying to recruit new followers or even maintain contact with the outside world. Michael, Jeff, and his followers continue to exist in a world they think of as their own private heaven, though former followers call it a private hell.
1: Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday.
0: You can find more episodes of Cults as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory.
1: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star
0: review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Cults was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Edmeyer and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Cults was written by Tim Davis and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.